Well, good morning. Good morning. Um, so I, I, I just got a, a message on my phone and, and debated uh, whether or not to share, but one of the core values that we have as community is authenticity. So I just want uh, to, to put this out there. My mom messaged me. My, my grandpa was just picked up by ambulance heading to the hospital. He's, a lot of you have been praying for him. He had a stroke not too long ago. Um, his blood pressure was, I mean, his heart rate was, was really, really low. So just be praying for that throughout the service um, for uh, for the ambulance ride, for the doctors, but just want to let you guys know what I'm going through right now. Just just got that right here. Um, so you might see some of that kind of come out. Um, but that being said, it is ever more important for us to consider the work of Christ in these moments. So, well, good morning. Um, I haven't been in here in a long time. So it's really good to see all of you guys. I've been upstairs in Mosaic for, for quite a long time. I get, to, uh, I get the honor and privilege of kind of being the primary voice upstairs in the Mosaic, um, kind of at that 10.15 to 11.30, 11 11.30 time slot. Woo! Uh, that's not the first mistake I've made this morning. Uh, you might see another one come out later. Um, so I've had the privilege of kind of being the primary voice up in Mosaic for, uh, for the last year, a little over a year, and that's been a wonderful, just incredible opportunity and a privilege. And if you've been here the last few weeks at Community, we've been going through our core values. Uh, it's sometimes good to look back on some of the things that, that we hold dear. So just by show of hands, and I'm not gonna, uh, this isn't like shame or guilt or anything like that. Who is a, a member of Community Reform Church? Just raise your hands. So we have six core values. Uh, go ahead and recite them. Go ahead. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I had to look it up before I knew. And even this morning, I had to get Kurt's help to, to kind of stumble my way through this. And I forgot one. Authenticity, which is, which is really funny. Um, so uh, we've got authenticity. We, we went through just a couple of weeks ago. The second one we've got is empowerment. And we've got uh, multiplication or, or reproduction, which we realized looking at our congregation, we felt like there was some miscommunication between reproduction and multiplication because we're really good at one of those um, as, a, as a community in West Michigan. Uh, then we've got, uh, today we've got transformation that we're talking about. And we have next week, life is a journey. And then finally, uh, we have less self. And today we're narrowing in on transformation. Um, the last few weeks, I've been able to spend some time uh, in, in the schools here in Zealand um, and in Granville. And it got me thinking about some of the stuff we learned as kids, like in these schools. And one of them is about transformation or, or change. And there's two major kinds of, of change or transformation. And the first one is physical change. Um, and I won't spend too long on this. Now, a physical change uh, is kind of like I've got these two matches, and a physical change would be me breaking these matches in half. That's a physical change. All of the pieces of these matches are still here, and if we wanted to keep breaking them, you could take all those pieces and put them back together, uh, and all the pieces are still here. That's, that's kind of a physical change. The, the transformation that we're talking about in Christ is not like a physical change where Christ is kind of someone or something that we can add on to the, right, to, the, to the end of our week or add on to a portion of our life. Or if we just took a part of, you know, if we took him out of our life, we'd have a mostly otherwise whole and complete life. That's not the kind of transformation we're talking about in Christ. Um, now, if I were to take these matches and uh, a disclaimer here, uh, in daybreak, when I lit this match, instead of lighting nicely and staying on the match, the head of the match lit and went... So I'm not going to aim it at the two of you up here. I'm going to, I'm going to maybe walk over here. Um, and I've got some water under here, right, in, in case. And then I tried and tried, and they didn't light. But we're going to, we're going to try it again. Um, all right, are you guys ready? 
Oh, see, see, I bought these, I bought a pack of matches this week and I left them at home. So this morning on my way, it's like 6.15 and I stop at Family Fair and pick up the, the discount rack matches. There's a box of three of them. So I paid like a buck for three boxes. We're gonna try this one more time. Oh, come on. Oh, no, see? Okay, we're gonna try it again. You know what? I'm, I'm insistent we're gonna get this lit. All right. Nobody breathe. Hey, woo! Oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> Chemical transformation takes a substance and changes it so that you can't put it back the way it was. This is the kind of transformation as the sulfur continues to burn and the wood begins to burn, what's left is a different substance than what was started with. You can't put these pieces back together. And you see the immediate fruit of this transformation, this kind of change in the, in the heat and the light that comes off of it. This is the kind of transformation that we have in Christ because when we experience that transformation, he doesn't just add something to our lives. He doesn't just uh, change a couple of things. Our lives are completely wrapped up in him and we are given a new identity. This is the transformation we're talking about. And we see the fruits of that in our lives, not because there's something we strive for, because they're inherent in that kind of change. Now, if you've met my dog, um, th- that was a nice segue right there. If you've met my dog, uh, Sadie, she's a, she's a nice pup. Uh, when she was younger, she was known as the gentle destroyer. And I may have shared this before because she has mastered the art of, of disassembling things at a molecular level. She has mastered the art of chemical change as a pup. So if that says anything about what's going on in our house. Um, but this is the kind of transformation we're talking about. And we're going to talk about it by jumping into the book of John, chapter 4. So if you want to follow along, if you've got a pew Bible, uh, the page is 1030. And there's actually a typo in this passage. So if you find it, You just let me know. We'll see if you were paying attention. All right, John chapter four. The Pharisees heard that Jesus was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John. Although, in fact, it wasn't Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. When the Lord learned of this, he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee, which is kind of like his headquarters of ministry for for this time. Now, he, he had to go through Samaria. And he came down to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. These are Jesus' ancestors. Jacob's well was there. And Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about the sixth hour, like noon, middle of the day, when a Samaritan woman came to draw water. Actually, I want to reread that, probably how many of the, the, the Jewish uh, readers or hearers would have, would have heard this. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, hey, did you give me a drink? Then in parentheses, John notes, his disciples had gone into town to buy some food. The Samaritan woman said to him, you are a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? And John takes a minute just to like record uh, for the Jews to not associate themselves with Samaritans. And we can't just let that, let that, uh, let that, verse kind of go without talking about it. Um, almost a thousand years before this happened, before Jesus meets this woman at the well, um, the, the kingdom of Israel, God's chosen nation, had split into two kingdoms, the northern and the southern kingdom. The northern kind of took on the name Israel uh, and the southern kingdom, Judea, and had the capital of Jerusalem, God's holy city, inside of the southern kingdom. And the, the northern kingdom had the choose a capital city, and so they chose the city of Samaria. So they became known as the Samaritans. Now, Jerusalem 
Jerusalem was the place God chose to dwell. This was the place all of God's people worshiped. And so the Northern Kingdom no longer had access to worship their God. And so they decided, all right, well, there's a mountain up here and this is kind of the area where uh, Moses may have gone and this is kind of the area where old worship maybe used to happen. So we can make this work. We can kind of uh, make a new system of worship, borrowing all of these traditions, kind of bringing them over. Even though we don't have access to Jerusalem, this holy city, we can make this work. And over the centuries, the, the Jewish people basically said, you know what, that, that, that worship is blasphemy. That, that, that's disgraceful to God. And so this, this tension began to build and build and build between the Jews and the Samaritans. And now, uh, almost a thousand years later, Jesus is, uh, comes into contact with a Samaritan woman. Let's keep reading. Verse 10, Jesus answered her, look, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with, and, and the well is deep. Where, where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself? As did his sons and his flocks and his herds. Uh, Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, look, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to come or keep coming down here to draw water. Jesus said to her, go call your husband and come back. She said, I don't have a husband. Jesus said to her, yeah, you're right when you say you have no husband. And this seems like a weird interaction at first between Jesus and this woman. Why, why is he bringing that up? We're about to get a glimpse into the authentic life of this woman as she replies. Jesus keeps on going. You are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you have had five husbands. And the man you, are now, you now have is, is, is not your husband. So what you've said is true. Now pause for a minute. This seems weird. It's just, it's odd to me that, that Jesus brings this up on his first encounter with this woman. Uh, this, that's not something you bring up like on a, on a first date or a first encounter like, oh, I see you've had five other husbands. And it doesn't sound like she's, she's a widow. He is, he's pointing out something that I think is core to, to her identity, at least that she holds core to her identity. Now, we had mentioned they're there around noon, the heat of the day. The sun is beating down. If you were going to get water for, for your, your, your family or your village, you would have gone either at dawn or dusk when the sun is lower in the sky. The heat index is a little bit lower. The humidity is lower. She's there in the middle of the day. She doesn't want to be seen. I think she's carrying the shame of her current reality, of her current sin and her past sin with her. And Jesus brings that up, I don't think to kind of rub it in her face, but to say this is not a perfect woman. She's from the wrong tribe of people. She's from the wrong kingdom. She's got the wrong past. And yet Jesus is here talking to her. Already we start to see the grace of Christ kind of shining through this moment. So the woman said, sir, I can see you are a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. She says our, our fathers worshiped on this mountain. That's because just a couple hundred years before this happened, uh, the, the Jewish king went and just demolished the Samaritan temple, the one that they built, just destroyed it. 
And so she's saying basically this tension that's been rising up basically came to a, uh, came to a climax in, in violence and in war and, and the Jews destroyed their place of worship. And she's saying, we know that you say we have to worship in Jerusalem. Jesus says, believe me, woman, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you don't know. We worship what we do know for salvation is from the Jews. Jesus is kind of taking an unapologetic stance here. He's saying, yeah, Jerusalem was where God chose to dwell. Basically, he's saying the Samaritans have it wrong. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth for they're the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. And the woman said, look, I know that the Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. And Jesus replied, I who speak to you am he. This is a huge proclamation that Jesus is making all throughout the Old Testament. The Old Testament tells of a, of a, of a coming one, the Messiah that's going to come and set all things right, is gonna make all things right and restore Israel. That's, this is prophesied thousands of years before this. The, the woman is saying, look, I, I know the scriptures. I know the one who's supposed to be coming. And Jesus says, that's me. I am the Christ to come. And he is uh, a, a Jewish man, the Messiah, talking to somebody from the wrong kingdom who's uh, just steeped in sin and in shame. And yet Jesus is here talking with this woman. Just then, verse 27, his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman. But nobody asked, what do you want? Or why are you talking with her? Then leaving her jar of water, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Christ? This woman starts preaching the gospel, welcoming people to come and see this, this Christ, to meet Jesus face to face. They came out, verse 30 of the town, and made their way toward him. And if you're following along, we're gonna skip down to verse 39. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony, saying he had told her everything she ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed two days. Because of his words, many more became believers. They said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves and we know that this man really is the savior of the world. We have this, this beautiful story of Jesus coming in contact with a Samaritan woman who has a past and a present. Now, I wanna point out two things about this story and how this story might collide with our lives 2,000 years later. The first one, the first thing I want to point out, this point of collision, is that some of us, either in this room or who are joining us via live stream, some of us in this room think, I may be thinking to ourselves, this woman, she received that transformation, and all of a sudden, like you can see in, in the way that she carries herself and the way that she acts, that, that she is transformed. You see the fruit right away. Just like when we lit the match, you could see the fruit of that transformation right away as the heat and light rose from the match. And some of us are thinking, you know, maybe the transformation didn't work for me. Now, I want to ask you just to follow along, kind of bear with me. Uh, take one of your hands, whichever one, and close it into a fist. And you, can, you can hide it under the seat if you want, or you don't have to show it. You don't have to raise it up. Uh, just kind of close it into a fist uh, and close it so that it doesn't hurt, but so you've got some white knuckles. And just hold that. We're going to keep that clenched for just a little bit. Now, some of us are thinking maybe this transformation didn't work because I'm still struggling with the same 
bad habits that I was before Christ. Maybe this transformation didn't work for me because I still got those addictions that I just can't seem to put off. And it looks like this woman who received the transformation is immediately changed. Some of us are thinking, look, I, I, I don't know if this transformation worked for me because I still mess up. You don't know the pain that I've caused other people. Uh, it seems like it didn't work because my actions aren't lining up with the way I say that I believe. Hold on to that. Keep squeezing. Some of us are thinking maybe the transformation doesn't work because my life isn't getting any easier. I still got a load of broken relationships. I still got tons of friendships that are falling apart. I still am wrestling through some difficult situations. Keep on holding that fist tight. It's probably getting a little bit sore around your first and second knuckles and your hand is maybe starting to shake and you're like, come on, just tell me to release it. Okay. Some of us in this room are thinking that this transformation maybe didn't work. Now I want you just to release the tension of your hand. And what's the first thing you notice? It wants to stay right there. So if this old creation, if the old us before Christ is, is sort of the, the closed fist and the new creation, this transformed uh, us is an open fist, as you release that pressure, your hand wants to stay there. I'm not, this is, I'm just, my hand is resting right now. And you have to like fight that resistance, that tension to stretch it out. And now you, you can see the fruit. It's starting to bear fruit. You can use it. You can hold a cup. You can hold a fork. You can do all sorts of things. However, what else do you notice with your hand right now? It feels a little sore. It might have some, some heat from when you were kind of clenching it shut. Your, your knuckles might need to start like popping and cracking to get them all you know, back to... The, 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 point, the point of this is when we receive Christ into our lives and are transformed, our hands are open, we still feel the pain of some of the, the broken relationships in our lives. We still feel uh, some of the pain that was caused to us by others. We still, we still wrestle with some of the addictions maybe we're wrestling with. We still feel uh, the pain of some of the, 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 the pain from our past. That's still a reality in our present. And I wanna say that's okay. If you're, if you're in that place where you're wondering, man, I've been walking with Christ for decades and, and my life doesn't seem to look all that different from what it was before. I wanna encourage you that Christ is working on you. And he is working through you. And I want to point out that the woman at the well, even though she ran into town and her life, I mean, from the surface, her life looked way different than right before. But what happens when she has to go home? And she goes home to not her first, second, third, fourth, or fifth husband, but this new man she's either living with or in a relationship with. Reality is going to kind of collide with this new transformation she's had. Much like many of us, when we realize that when we accept Christ into our lives and proclaim him as Lord and Savior, all of our relationships aren't suddenly fixed. We're still going to mess up. For the kids and students in the room, there's going to be times when, when, when you do something you regret, whether it's you were mean to somebody, whether you were picking on somebody, whether you cheated on a quiz or a test or on your homework, there's gonna be times when you're questioning, man, my parents, they say they've got that transformation, but it doesn't seem like they do. And I want you to know that Christ is working on you. And he is certainly working through you and in you. The second thing I want to point out of this sort of collision uh, with this story in our lives is I think, I think some of us look at our past and think that transformation sounds great, but there's no way that that's for me. We think that transformation sounds so awesome and life-giving and I want it. However, I just, I don't think that's going to work for me. 
And so it would take a miracle for my life to be changed. And one, absolutely, it takes a miracle. It takes a miracle of the Holy Spirit. But I think some of us in the room are kind of thinking that transformation sounds great, but Andrew, you don't know, you don't know who I am. Amen. You don't know who I was. You don't know what I've done. Andrew, you don't know about the failed marriages. Andrew, you don't know about the pain I've caused other people. Andrew, you don't know that, I've, that I blew up at my husband or my wife today or that last night I blew up at my kids. Andrew, you don't know the things that I've done in my life. There's no way that this transformation is meant for somebody as lowly as me. And I wanna say, uh, absolutely not, because when you and I were dead in our sins, not just like struggling or striving to be better, but when we were dead in our sins, lifeless, Without a heartbeat, Christ came for us. He lived for us. He died for us and he rose again for us. I know there are people in my life who when they look back in their lives, they wonder where they went wrong because man, the pieces are falling apart. And maybe you're in that place right now Maybe you know somebody who's in that place who says, you don't know what I've been struggling with. You don't know what I've done. You don't know who I am or what I've become. But I want you to know when we were dead in our sins, not just struggling in them, when we were dead, Christ died for us. If you're at this point in your life where you're thinking, man, I really messed up. This transformation is not for me. I don't see the fruit of that transformation in my life. I want to encourage you this morning. Just like the woman at the well who's got to go home now to a bunch of broken relationships, the transformation that we're talking about doesn't fix everything. It's a transformation of being dead in our sins to suddenly becoming alive in Christ. That's the transformation. So if you are still wrestling with sin, with temptation, with addiction, with broken relationships, with feeling like you don't live up to what you think the transformation should be, know that Christ is working in and through you and Christ is working on you. And if you're in the place where you think, man, because of what I've done, there's no way that transformation is for me. I wanna call you out on it. Because this woman has had five husbands She's from the wrong kingdom. And Jesus offers her living water. My encouragement for all of us in this room and those who are joining us is simply to be transformed. Not to strive for transformation, but to know and rest in peace and comfort that the transformation has happened. And even though you might feel the pains of the past, Christ is working on you. The encouragement is to be transformed. And I think sometimes we, uh, we think that what God wants is us to stoke the fuel of that transformation with everything we have. And so we load a whole bunch of wood on it, a whole bunch of brush and kindling and sticks and all this kind of stuff. Have you ever tried to light a fire with way too much wood on it? You see, the thing that God wants is just this right here. It's you. And he'll take care of that transformation. 
So be encouraged today. As we leave this place, as we uh, go to lunch, as we, uh, as we gather tonight for trunk or treat, the encouragement is just to receive that transformation. And next week, we get to talk about the process by which God brings fruit out of that transformation, the process by which God conforms us to his image. But for today, there's no specific, here's the three steps. Just know that wherever you are, wherever you've been, the love of Christ knows no limits because it doesn't matter the pain you've caused others. It doesn't matter how far you've walked away. It doesn't matter how far you have strayed. It doesn't matter if you blew up your family this morning. It doesn't matter uh, if you've got failed marriages. And I'm not saying they don't matter because they're not significant. I'm saying they don't matter because Christ's love knows no limits. And he is unafraid of that brokenness. Just like when he met the woman at the well. Would you pray with me? Father, we we thank you that your love knows no limits. We thank you that your love collides in our lives with our broken lives, our brokenness. And even though all the pieces aren't perfectly and quickly put back together, Father, we thank you that we get to take those broken pieces and hand them over to you, and you are putting them together. So thank you for your transformation, Father. Help us to be transformed. to not strive for transformation, but just just to receive it. Father, we love you. We praise and worship you. We pray these things in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, the power of your spirit for your glory. Amen. Hear these words from Paul to his friends at the church in Ephesus. He says, Therefore, as a prisoner for the Lord, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling you've received. Gentleness, patience, humility, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. All God's people said, amen. Go with and in the peace of Christ.